0: Welcome to our next episode of Unlocking California Politics. I'm your host, Sanjay Wagley. Today we will be discussing the legislative roundup from the past year with our two managing CAR legislative advocates, Kareem Drissi and Jennifer Sveck. Let me uh, give you some bio here. Uh, Kareem is a legislative advocate manager who represents the California Association of Realtors on a variety of primarily investment housing issues, um, rental, uh, rent control issues, property management, Kareem earned a BA degree from Magna Cum Laude from the California State University in Sacramento, as well as a Master's of Public Administration from McGeorge School of Law. And Kareem, you've been with us how many years?
1: Uh, over 13 years now.
0: 13 years. Jennifer is also Legislative Advocate Manager at the California Association of Realtors. She's been with us for quite a long time. How many years? 20. 20 years. Okay. Um, her policy expertise lies primarily in homeownership and housing issues. She's also been handling our environmental issues this year. Um, she works on a range of issues, affordable housing, common industry development, etc. She also has a bachelor's degree from California State University in Sacramento and has obtained her master's in organizational leadership from National University. This was a year which included some constitutional amendments as well. We won't be going into those We'll primarily. That'll be for a future podcast. So we're going to go ahead primarily and talk about Pure legislative uh, issues for this year. So this has been a very busy year with quite a number of significant bills affecting the real estate industry and private private property rights. So let's look at some of the legislative issues that we faced this year um, in the realtor community. So we have what I call positive wins, which are those policies that we advocated for that passed. And then we have what I call kind of opposition wins, where these are bills we opposed and we were successful in opposing and stopping. So I'm going to ask you both for one positive one and one opposition win. And I will start with you, Jennifer.
2: Thank you, Sanjay. It was a very difficult year. Uh, There was a lot of legislation, I think, that normally we see about 25 to 30 percent of all legislation introduced affect housing. I think this year it felt more like 50 percent because housing really was on the forefront of the legislative mindset. Um, one of the most positive uh, wins that we had, and we actually got it early on, was AB 584 by a summit member Hart. That bill was really interesting. The Coastal Commission has not uh, been able to or been interested in raising the uh, permit exemption for uh, creating renovations or repairs to buildings that would... Uh, Detrimental to the life and safety of the residents within the structures. Um, The permit exemption for providing those particular repairs to parcels located in the coastal zone is $25,000. Um, or was $25,000 under current law when the bill was introduced. Assemblymember Hart, being a former coastal commissioner, had introduced the bill to make a, a significant increase to what that permit exemption was, given we've seen a high cost of inflation over the last 30 to 40 years when the initial exemption was set. And the bill was introduced and not changed, interestingly enough, to raise that exemption to $100,000. What's also interesting is that Assemblymember Hart worked into the measure uh, an opportunity for that permit exemption to adjust for inflation. That's an important change that's made within the statute that was not in there before because it allows the coastal commission to actually be able to change what that exemption is going forward. Um, as we've seen, we've had great inflation over the last few years that would have been really helpful as we're looking at the cost of construction, um, especially in these areas where we're trying to protect life and property um, and avoid the abandoned and retreat policies that tend to be one of the, the automatic um, uh fallbacks for, for Coastal Commission areas. Um, but uh, that was a great win that we had had this year. Uh, the bill was actually signed into law uh, over the summer and was approved with, um, without any opposition, which was something that we have not seen uh, previously when measures of this nature were introduced. And so that was a really, a really big win, um, but it was also a really quiet win because everyone was afraid to uh, spook the Coastal Commission that maybe they would change their mind on what that permanent exemption was. Um, one of the other wins that we had had that was pretty significant, um, which had to do with a measure that we had opposed, was AB 770 by Assemblymember member cholera. Assemblymember member cholera was trying to remove the six-bed limitation for putting commercial activities within single-family neighborhoods. Um, in this particular case, the exemption was being placed in the statute to allow residential care facilities to be able to operate within single-family neighborhoods. It would allow these residential care facilities to avoid constructing uh, new commercial buildings and to instead Uh, change the single family neighborhood into a commercial activity um, but does so without actually having to go to the planning agencies or having any oversight that's necessary as you change the use of the single family homes. This would create additional competition and further pressures on our supply. Um, In in the measure, they sought to increase the bed limitation or or to remove the bed limitation that was placed within statute of six. Um, And uh, that was problematic because um, imagining that you've got 20 seniors living in a, a single-family home seems kind of odd that you would put them on bunk beds. Um, state regulation also limits the number of seniors that you can put in in single-family homes or within any bedroom to two per bedroom, which is consistent with what federal regulations are. Um, for our purposes, uh, we were interested in, in allowing maybe a two-bed limitation, but in this particular case, the Assembly Amendment wasn't interested in limiting the um, adaptive use of our single-family homes uh, in the end, the bill was held in the Assembly Appropriations Committee. We do expect to see the bill reintroduced next year, as the residential care facilities really are not interested in constructing new facilities, but but uh, acquiring the limited single family stock that we have, which will place additional upward pressures on uh, the cost of housing, which we're already seeing continuing to rise uh, along with the interest rates.
0: Yeah, I recall when you worked on the the bill, and I think for our audience, it's important to know. For example, in rental housing, it's typically under the federal standard two per bedroom. And under the state, it's not enough it's not a formal standard, but it's two uh two per bedroom plus one. So even under those, you know, the more open state standard, what they seem to want on that bill just honestly doesn't make sense. So I, I don't know what's going on there.
2: It does not. But, and even when we tried to say that they needed to refer to the regulations for the limitation of two per bedroom, the proponents seemed really resistant to that limitation and wanted a fifteen-bed requirement. Um, was what they attempted to negotiate. That was also interesting given that most houses in the state of California have anywhere between maybe three to four bedrooms. So even by the two person per bedroom standard, you're looking at six to eight people, but they wanted a 15 bed cap the other thing that was interesting was the Assembly Human Resources Committee had asked for amendments to require that 30% of the beds be held for low and moderate income mm-hmm. individuals. Um, the residential care facilities did not like that. Oh, interesting. Um, and so they tried to to wiggle free some amendments to say that that 30% only applied to the first six beds and the remaining uh, beds under the 15-bed limitation that they were going for um, would or, uh, would have been exempt from those price controls that were placed on the beds contained within the 30% piece under under the six bed limitation it was a very interesting uh, negotiation process with that one
1: yeah interesting
2: okay kareem let's start with a
1: positive point Sure. Uh, well, definitely, as I'm sure uh, the members that are watching and listening to us know, uh, the positive wins in the investment housing space are often <laughs> few and far between. As we see right. numerous <clears throat> amounts of bad pieces of legislation, and so one thing that I would like to particularly highlight with respect to a positive win is not necessarily cite a specific piece of legislation, but just from the macro level, one positive win that um, I identified this year, and I'd like to tip our tip my hat to our members is just the their strength and resiliency and their fortitude really reached new heights this year. Uh, As you know, we saw uh, many challenges from the legislature, whether it be challenging tax proposals, challenging investment housing proposals, uh, whatever the case may be. And our members really rose to the occasion. And so I have to tip my hat to them because they really showed a depth of uh, strength and fortitude and resiliency um, that was really um really i I was proud to represent them um and and uh you know definitely there were instances this year that we saw where we you know coalition partners would fall by the wayside and they would cut bad deals and we were the last organization standing Uh, and our members still rose to the occasion because it was the right thing to do um and so i just have to really tip my hat to our members because they always rise to the occasion they always show a depth of strength and fortitude and resiliency um that really just makes me proud to represent them and so uh definitely i'm sure we'll have more challenges next year and i'm sure they'll once again rise to the occasion with respect to those challenges so so since you did that about two opposition bills then? Sure, sure. Uh, Well, first and foremost, uh, I'd like to mention, since I believe Jennifer mentioned uh, AB 584 uh, by Assemblymember Hart, I believe it was AB 584. uh, I'll go ahead and mention uh, SB 584. It was by Senator Lamone, and it would have imposed a 15% tax on short-term rentals throughout the state. Um, And the challenge with that particular proposal is that often, as our members know, uh, because they not only uh, own short-term rentals, but uh, also provide property management services with respect to short-term rentals, um, is that short-term rentals are often seen as a cost-effective alternative uh, to um, higher-priced forms of temporary lodging. Um, And so low- and moderate-income individuals and families often seek out short-term rentals so that they can afford to take uh that that quiet vacation. Um and so this bill would have imposed a 15% tax and it would have disproportionately impacted those low and moderate income individuals and families. Um and also of course small housing providers in particular. Um, and so for those reasons we did oppose the bill um and we were successful in defeating it. Um, so that's one that I would highlight. Uh, and another, if I recall we were one of the earliest opponents to that bill. We were yes yes the 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 uh short term rental housing uh, industry, uh, let's say, those major players who will remain nameless, uh, they were um, uh, sort of late to surface, um, I think because they thought that the bill would um, would die early, and that was not the case. Um, and so we were uh, one of the first uh, organizations in opposition. Um, so that's one that I'll mention. Uh, another that I would mention is uh, AB 919 uh, by Assemblymember Kalra. Uh, this was a bill that we adamantly opposed, a reintroduction of AB 2710. So a, zomb- a zombie year.
0: bill, which we talked about before, bad yes. idea to come back oh, again, yeah, yeah. And again and
1: again. And not only a zombie bill, but also uh, uh, a bill that <clears throat> uh, that had its initial uh, formulation on the local level. So again, those bad ideas bubbling up to the state level. Um, it's what's known as uh, Topa Copa on the uh, local level, uh, which basically stands for Tenant or Community Organization Opportunity to Purchase Act, and this would be a statewide version of Topa Copa. So we defeated it last year when it was AB twenty seven ten as part of our legislative day last year. We were successful in defeating it. This year it was back as AB 919, and the main thrust of the bill is that it basically would have provided right of first offer to nonprofit housing corporations located throughout the state uh, for a large swath of rental properties. And so you would have had an instance where you have a rental property in the city of Oakland. The seller wants to sell to a working family that lives down the street. Their first crack at home ownership And before they can do that, they have to offer the rental property to a slew of nonprofit housing corporations throughout the state, including in places like San Francisco, Los Angeles, et cetera. Um, And this was really problematic and not only would have hurt uh, working families uh, trying to achieve the dream of homeownership, uh, but also, of course, housing providers as well. So we were opposed to that that bill and we were able to successfully defeat it uh, prior to it being set for its first policy committee. Uh, So that was definitely a big win for our members, and they really showed, again, a lot of fortitude, strength, and resiliency with respect to the the challenges that we saw, not only in the investment housing space this year, uh, but across the board.
0: Yeah, even, you know, we oppose that even conceptually. There's so many problems with those kind of bills, but even on their own terms, I'm always surprised that the proponents are advocating for basically very large corporations in many cases to take over these single family residences, which could be located, have no connection to the community, area. it It's, as I said, even on their own, on its own terms, it makes no sense.
1: I agree. Yeah. And I think that's why it wasn't said, because I think, um, the, the legislators in question, I think realized this is going to harm my constituents. Uh, right. and that was a problem for them. So, um, as you've just mentioned, we
0: did have quite a lot of success in the housing provider space, stopping a lot of, um, bills that were very, very problematic for us. Um, and you've talked about a big part of that success is the adamant <laughs> opposition of our our membership and being involved. Um, you mentioned TopaCopa. Are there any other bills that you, do you anticipate that one coming back and are there other ones you anticipate coming back in some form next year?
1: Sure. Uh, well, I, I do think there is a likelihood that that bill will return. Um, speaking of, uh, now would that be year two or three? This would be, if it comes back next year in 2024, it would be year three. Okay. Um, and I guess I would mention in, in connection to that bill, speaking of zombie bills and the possibility of that bill coming back next year, uh, another zombie bill that we saw this year that I'll quickly mention was SB 395, uh, by freshman Senator Aisha Wahab. Uh, this particular bill, this was the fifth time that we saw some version of a rental registry bill fifth Uh, year in a row the fifth year in a row yes so we defeated the first four uh senator wahab came back this year with sb 395. what this version would have done is it would have required housing providers to file copies of notices with respect to rental increases uh and eviction so you would have to you'd have within 10 days a housing provider would have to file a copy with the secretary of state's office uh either you know related to increasing the rent or related to eviction and if they fail to do so there would be certain penalties involved and not only that but those notices would then be part of a publicly searchable database Uh, and so there were privacy concerns as well Um, so definitely an egregious bill Uh, even the secretary of state's office uh, quietly expressed concerns because why would they house a rental registry in the Secretary of State's office. So numerous problems with that bill. But of course, uh, the obvious problem is that it would have been extremely burdensome for small housing providers. Um, And so we were able to defeat that bill. Uh, It died in the Senate Appropriations Committee. And that's an example. uh, And again, in you know not only the uh, Topa bill from uh, Assembly Member Calra that could come back next year, but also we could see for the sixth year in a row next year uh, another rental registry bill. So that remains to be seen, but that definitely could be uh, another one on the horizon again. Yeah. they're going to keep trying. Um, Jennifer, you also
0: uh, this year saw a number of uh, transactions bills um, that affect you know the core work of what our membership does. I'm going to start with AB 1345, which uh, Uh, Which affects actually the listing agreements, which are core to what our membership does. And if you could just talk about why did the legislature want to look at listing agreements and um, kind of what, what happened there?
2: Well, as most of our members know, or I, I would assume, actually, all of our members know that uh, listing agreements are negotiated. Uh, they are there are contractual obligations that are placed between both a buyer and a seller. And the listing agreement, obviously, is between the seller and the listing agent or the listing realtor that is that is putting the or advertising the parcel for sale and, and managing their transaction for them. Um, there was an issue that's emerged over the last few years where companies have figured out that they can, in exchange for a cash payment, record. Uh, listing agreement on a parcel. And in so, uh, recording that listing agreement, what they're doing is creating a right to list that lasts, uh, prospectively. Uh, so through the duration of an individual's ownership and even beyond an individual's duration of ownership, potentially through probate. Um, the, the companies that were advancing this theory, uh, from what our understanding is throughout the country, we're offering anywhere between $500 and $2,500. Generally speaking to um, low and moderate income families, those living in underserved communities and specifically seniors is who they were targeting. Individuals that were cash strapped where anywhere between $500 and $2,500 would make a significant difference and they would be able to, to close some kind of a, a gap that they had within within their costs uh, within their household. Um, To the individuals that were signing on the dotted line, they didn't really understand what they were. They were signing away their rights to be able to list their property with any agent that they choose. And what was happening was the companies that were uh, facilitating these agreements, it was learned, were not interested in getting business um, in the traditional sense of actually listing the properties for sale and facilitating the sales activities um, as the listing agent. What they were really interested in is exacting a settlement out of these homeowners uh, through a court process.
0: And I, yeah, and, and as far as that model, I think one of the most problematic part was, as you mentioned, targeting seniors, many of whom had no intention <clears throat> of selling their home, took took the money and perhaps didn't quite understand that their heirs would be bound to that contract. That's so when once it was inherited, that heir was suddenly like, wait, I have to pay you. I, I can't choose my agent anymore. It's, it was very... Uh, Yeah, a troubling practice.
2: It was. And there was no disclaimers, no disclosures, no explanation as to what was going on and what you were binding yourself to. And um, the idea that it would survive death seemed uh, problematic, especially for the attorney general in California and a couple of our counties. Um, Some of the county recorders started to notice the prevailing practice that had been happening in other states um, starting to emerge here in California, which is creating issues. One county in particular uh, had received an uh, an agreement of this nature, which was in exchange for cash payment to record the right to list and uh, declined uh, to record the, the agreement. In response, the company that sought to record on a senior's parcel uh, sued the county. And so in response, there was a, a lot of discussion that had happened over last winter and the attorney general, as well as uh, a, a county over over in the Bay Area, decided that they needed to address this issue on a go-forward basis to stop this predatory practice, especially since it was targeting um, predominantly seniors, at least in the Bay Area at this particular point. Um, the Attorney General introduced a bill. There was another bill introduced by another member, but Member Hart's bill is the one that prevailed in moving forward. The difficulty was the... Not that we thought that the practice was a good practice that was happening in the industry. In fact, it created a lot of heartburn for a lot of realtors in the state of California. And it definitely seemed like the wrong thing to do. And they are definitely not good actors. But uh, the resulting decision that was made by the attorney general... Um, And the co-sponsoring county was that they would limit contract duration to uh, one year. So your listing agreements could not exceed one year. There'd be no renewal period um, and everything would be set in statute and no longer negotiated based upon what the needs are of the seller or the services offered by the real estate agent. So that created some difficulty for us as we sought to negotiate. We did go to our board of directors. There were a lot of conversations about this measure and the right way to address the concerns that were presented by the attorney general, as well as the the, the counties that were involved in uh, the recorded agreements. In the end, we were able to come to to an accord. Uh, and uh, while there is a two-year uh, duration or, or limitation on a listing agreement, you can renew annually uh, unlimited. And so that took care of a lot of the more, um, creative practices that we have, which happen a lot actually in Kareem's area with the property management space, because a lot of, uh, real estate licensees and their owners have different kinds of service agreements that they set up, um, either with their property management services or property management services that result in sales. And so, um, with that and the ideas that a lot of renovations and, and improvements also do happen, um, in connection with a seller getting ready to sell their property and there's other investment opportunities there for for people to collaborate and work together in different creative ways Those ideas and opportunities are still preserved. It's just that on a go-forward basis, we can no longer have an unlimited duration or a 40-year listing agreement. Um, And specifically what the bill does is it prohibits any listing agreement from being recorded, uh, which is something that uh, in our estimation has always been the case in the state of California that you could not record a listing agreement for services not provided. It's one thing to uh, record a filing or a judgment for services provided that you uh, had received, but it's different to be able to record a judgment or a finding for something that you have not received and are hoping to receive down the road. And so that is now officially prohibited in state law.
0: Right. And I think the other thing worth mentioning is it also really was targeted, um, which it was not originally, but as part of our negotiations, that it was targeted toward actual homeowners to protect homeowners. Correct. So that listing agreements with LLCs, corporations, et cetera, are not covered. So it's really targeted to protect the homeowner. Um and while, yeah, it's not ideal because we, our membership and, and realtors um, who, you know, been doing listing agreements forever are not, we're not really the target of this, but kind of got caught up in it. And from my legal past, my lawyer past, we always say, you know, bad, bad cases make bad laws. This isn't a, a, actually in the end turned turn, turned out to be fine. Uh, you know, a good compromise, but the original version would have been very problematic for us. Um. But yeah, in the end, I think it is a compromise that, w- that will work for, for our membership and for the state and will, in fact, protect and stop these kind of models from occurring. And by the way, something which we've noticed on the national level, this is a national trend. We've seen these caps and listing agreements in Maryland, Pennsylvania, and a number of other states where this uh, this model proliferated.
2: It's, it's definitely been growing, although we've recently seen in the news that one of the companies that has been facilitating this practice actually recently filed bankruptcy. And so potentially with the changes happening in state laws um, and the focus on protecting homeowners, um, uh, this practice will stop and the copycats will also sort of... Potentially go away as 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 time goes on, um, and as the statute rolls into effect in January. But um, as you note, it was it was really problematic, and the goal really was to protect homeowners specifically. Um, I think what's also important to note is that commercial properties, which have a totally different kind of listing agreement opportunity, um, and and individuals involved, and in generally require some kind of legal counsel uh, in these large scale purchases of of commercial property, those were also exempted, and so right. those were those were important uh, keys to to removing CAIR's opposition and and to allowing us to be able to move to a neutral position and ensuring that both our members can continue to provide services to mm-hmm. homeowners selling their homes, but that homeowners can also receive the services that they need to get the highest and best uh, price for their property. Because that is something that um, we are duty bound to do within the statute is that right. we have to negotiate in good faith, as well as ensuring that we are getting the maximum amount that we can for for our clients.
0: Yeah. And that's the other thing with that, the model you were describing. I think if People had actually sued; they probably would have prevailed, but most people don't have the money to sue. So um, we did end up having to have some kind of re- regulation. The other bill I'm going to talk about, which is, uh, impacts our members in terms of the um, transactional space, is online notary, mm-hmm. which we now finally have in the state of California. The once the most technologically advanced state with all the <laughs> biggest tech companies in the world took. I think we're one of the last remaining states without online notary until till this year. Can you talk about online notary?
2: Online notary has been a, a topic of discussion in the state of California in uh, the legislative arena for about a decade. So this is not uh, something that's been done haphazardly. Clearly, and with us being one of the last to do it, clearly we're diligent in our decision making in the state of California. Sometimes, um, I would I would like to to do a point diligent. of history. That's good. Did you like diligent? I like okay. diligent. <laughs> um, a, a point of history that's important for our members to remember is we were leaders in the electronic a uh, recording process that happened in the early 2000s by a measure that was actually sponsored by CAR and carried by Senator Leno. Um we've been a leader in the space of electronic recording as well as the concept of electronic notaries um for quite some time. The way California had worked uh, prior to to what will now be created was it was silent on what online notaries could do. And so prior to the pandemic, online notary was something that was emerging as a trend in California but wasn't necessarily um widely used by a by our members, but given the pandemic, uh, online notary definitely got a bigger foothold in the state of California and its priority and interest in having it um, officially legalized, as opposed to just not prohibited. Um, the federal government has introduced legislation, uh, it over several years, just like California has, that has not uh, been fruitful and created a, a federal regulatory system for online notaries. Um, actually sponsored a bill this year um, in response to uh, the measure that was uh, sent through the process in the last session uh, to create the online notary process. But I should note that the attorney general and the secretary of state over the last 10 years have been very resistant to the concept of electronic notarizations or notaries being licensed in the state of California. There's a few issues. The AG's concern was about interstate recognition, which is something that we have in our paper notaries where you can sign your notary in let's say massachusetts while you're on vacation um, for a property that uh you are uh in uh, in a transaction in california um, the concern with the online notaries uh, from the ag's perspective was they did not want to allow online notarization by, by notaries located outside of California that you had to be located in California in order to facilitate those, which created a barrier uh, to being able to complete transactions in California that we do not have with the paper, paper version. Um, as a result, there were some other issues with liability that were created where the online notaries in previous versions were trying to um, place the um, liability on the uh, homeowners as well as on the real estate licensees which is title
0: as well i believe
2: and title um basically anybody but themselves (laughs) even though they were the ones that were facilitating the transactional space uh for facilitating the online notary and were responsible for the validation of the signatures uh car had a problem with that in the previous version that was introduced the secretary of state continued to have issues with costs for licensing essentially they The Secretary of State does not have the resources or the staff available to create a whole brand new uh, licensing structure. And the Secretary of State, because they host your business licenses in the state of California, is also where the licensing structure would have been placed in the previous versions of the bill. As we moved into this year, there were two bills that were introduced one by Senator Portantino, and then the CAR is measured by SMM member Petrie Norris. The important thing uh, to remember about CAR's sponsored bill is it did ensure that CAR was serious about ensuring that liability remained with the individuals that created whatever that obligation (coughs) or problem was within the transaction. Um, The online notaries did hear us um, in our introduction of a competing bill, and we were able to work out our concerns and, and ensure that liability did not get offed onto our members or our members' clients. Um, in the meantime, we were also are able to protect title and a variety of other real estate services that uh, participate within the real estate uh, transactional process. The the measure did go to the governor, and the governor is, is signing the measure. Um, with the agreement from the attorney general's office, the secretary of state, um, we've sort of found a way, I think, after 10 years to finally create an amazing opportunity to, instead of just pretending that there's no law, on online notary to actually validate the the online notary process that's happening in California. And so um, it'll be a big process and a big lift for the Secretary of State going forward. There are implementation timelines that were placed in the statute um, to ensure that we can continue to operate with a seamless um, uh, interaction between our current uh, transactional process with notarizations into this California approved notarization process. So there is going to be a phase in.
0: One of the major pushes we made this year, and we'll talk a little more about it during uh, when I talk about Legislative Day a little later and our member mobilization efforts, is California Dream for All came back as an issue this year. Which, um, If you could talk a little about the program Mm -hmm. uh, and then also what what happened this year that required us to have to deal with it uh, this year, which we thought it would be something we didn't maybe try to have to deal with in the future again, but that we had to come back.
2: Uh, California Dream for All for, for those listening. And I'm, I'm sure everybody recalls what it, what it is, but it's a down payment assistance program for our state's working families making up to 100% of the area median income, which creates an equity sharing agreement between the homeowner and the state to create a self-replenishing program where when individuals refinance or sell their home, 20% of the equity gained along with the, um, a silent second amount for the down payment of 20% for the down payment are returned to the state of California and then put back out uh, for use by uh, California's families that are seeking to achieve the, the California dream of homeownership. The interesting thing about the program was due, due to efforts by our members last year in, in coordination with the Senate Pro Tem, we were able to secure a half a billion dollars in pilot funding for the Dream for All program. We went from a budget surplus last year to a a fairly significant budget shortfall this year. Um, And with that in mind, the governor was being very pragmatic and careful with the budget that he released in January. Uh, In that budget, he had allowed $300 million to remain in the pilot for the Dream for All program. And $200 million was held in reserve based upon what happened with California's uh, state budget, the economy, and what the projections were from the Legislative Analyst's Office. In March, three hundred million dollars was put out by Cal FHA and available for use as down payment assistance to families uh, throughout California. It was a raging success. There is there is no words to describe the the fervor and excitement that families felt at their opportunity to to reach the the dream of housing stability, which creates opportunities for themselves and for their children and better educational and health outcomes. Uh the interesting thing is Cal FHA, which is the regulator uh, that paired both the down payment assistance with the lending functions, um, they thought it would take about two months to get through $300 million, and it took less than two weeks, I believe. And don't quote me if I'm wrong. I believe it was 11 days. Yeah,
0: I think it was 11 days.
2: Uh, And so in that very quick process, uh, we learned a few lessons, which always happen in a pilot. Uh, One, when you're looking at geographical diversity, uh, we need to ensure that not just those that live in the state's capital know about the program. That's part one. Um, And and part two, there has to be some regional adoption in order to ensure um, that we're uh, creating the most uh, geographic diversity in the use of the funds. Uh, the $3 million uh, taught a lot of lessons that also created uh, a, new, a new dialogue that's occurring between both the regulators as well as the community that facilitates uh, the lending functions, so the bankers, as well as us in the transactional space and the fair housing advocates as we're looking at how to distribute the funds going on a go-forward basis. In the meantime, the $200 million that we uh, had secured last year was was set on the side. Uh, we are elated to report that due to the member mobilization efforts and The um, excitement of our members and their clients in in calling for the return of the funding, Senate Pro Tem Atkins um, and her leadership team on the Senate side were um, extraordinarily um, determined in helping us to uh, see the $200 million returned into the program. In addition to that, the budget was approved in July, which included the new $200 million. However, that money will be held until a stakeholder process goes forward um, in order to figure out best practices and how to improve the use of the resources that we are given. Compare um, In addition to figuring out what the new program looks like in ensuring that we have availability. One of the things that we had found was a problem was the course qualifications that homeowners had to go through. Individuals, instead of going to course providers in California, were having to go online outside of California. And we heard stories about people from New York and Florida teaching about California responsibility and housing policies, which seems a little bit weird when you're doing a housing counselor that's located in New York or Florida with very different housing laws than what California has. Um, Those are the things that'll be resolved as we go forward. Um, the legislature in the uh, approval of the budget of the state of California also required that uh, Cal FHA provide a report to the legislature in March of next year um, that outlines what changes will occur to the pilot project before we release the $200 million. And additionally, there's also some aft appetite to have a conversation about creating a bonding source, potentially to go before the voters in a future election, to create a bigger uh, nest egg for us to be able to create um, an ongoing funding source that will be available to to our state's first-time homeowners.
0: Thank you, Jennifer. Um, one more thing. We, this year, had a pretty robust sponsored bill package. Um, if you could maybe just quickly list, since we're a little tight for time, um, our sponsored bills and maybe pick one of them that you think would be a more significant one for our members? Uh, AB
2: 225 uh, is a a measure that was sent to the governor and I I suspect will be signed. It was sent through on consent. It was by Assemblymember Grayson. It seeks to increase the chapters contained within the environmental hazards booklet. Um, We all know that climate change, sea level rise... Um, uh, wildfire risk, as well as a variety of other, uh, climate related, uh, environmental sustainability issues are, are pressing concerns on our members. Um, it is an amazing investment to be able to provide this disclosure on general hazards that can be, uh, 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 can impact a home. And so instead of realtors having to come up with all of them from the top of their head, they're able to provide this booklet, which is a resource that is developed by state agencies. In this particular case, if there's not funding available from the state, a CAR can uh, use some of its educational resources to assist the state in its development. We've done this twice before, uh, each time it cost us between, I believe, five and $8,000 for each of those instances. Uh, another measure that we had had was AB 323 by assembly Member Holden. Um, it's, all it simply does is allows homeowners to have an opportunity to purchase a deed-restricted okay. home as an <clears throat> owner-occupant. Uh, we had found a pervasive trend, which... We've also seen in the Topacopa space where investors are getting in instead of homeowners to be able to purchase units that were intended for homeownership, thus reducing the supply available. Uh, there was a fair housing lawsuit um, in response to um, a corporate REIT, which is uh, a investment firm that is uh, traded on the stock market, being able to buy houses for one hundred and fourteen and I think $121,000 respectively in San Diego um, that denied single <coughs> moms as well as those of the black and brown community uh, from being able to achieve their their dream of homeownership. The worst part was there was over 60 applicants of families that wanted to purchase these units. And uh, in the end, they were they were denied that opportunity. But we found that there was a deficiency in state statute, which uh, CAR uh, took the head that took the lead on and just went ahead and, and sponsored a bill, which I am elated to note is on the governor's desk. And we're very hopeful it'll be signed. Thank you, Jennifer. There's something nice about being able to flip the tables, Sanjay. (laughs) Given that this year insurance has been a major issue within our membership, there's been a lot of controversy, a lot of questions and a lot of news in this area. The governor recently issued an executive order and the insurance commissioner also uh, submitted uh, to the people of California that he is initiating a rescue plan. Uh, can you uh let our listeners know what excitement there is in the industry uh or the insurance industry since the conclusion of the legislative session, which resulted in unfortunately no movement in the insurance space, but there's been quite a bit of movement since the legislature adjourned. Thanks, Jennifer. <laughs>
0: and uh so I am taking this one because this is an issue that I worked with uh, Anna Buck, who's one of our legislative advocates uh in our team. Um Yes, we were very hopeful that legislative action was going to take place on this very hot issue, as um, people who listen to this podcast might know. We very recently, our last podcast was on this insurance issue. At the time of that uh, discussion, um, it was very close in time to where people were pretty optimistic that maybe something was going to come together on the legislative front, Um, you know, maybe a compromise package and the true meaning of compromise where nobody's really happy, but everybody's getting something that makes them live with it. Unfortunately, that deal did not come together. Um, There were a number of factors. Uh, One factor alluded to by the media, which I think unfortunately did play a role, is there was a communication uh, made by a lobbyist uh, uh, regarding that potential bill that suggested it was an insurance company. Uh, favored sponsored measure, which was not accurate actually, but that, that perception helped kill it from really moving forward or even getting a real start in the legislature. Frankly, that got everybody, including our members of you know the California Association of Realtors, other shelter industries, lenders, cons- you know the more moderate consumer groups, everybody was not happy about the lack of some sort of forward action on this. As you mentioned though, after the session concluded, uh, Governor Newsom and uh, Commissioner Lara have now gone, uh, Governor Newsom uh, issued the executive order. Commissioner Lara went ahead and then has moved forward in a regulatory fashion. The regulations are not in effect yet, but essentially much of what was anticipated to be that uh, compromise measure is gonna move forward as regulation. Those regulations will not be formulated until the end of this year and so will not go into effect until the beginning of 2024. In very, very broad strokes, it will give the insurance industry some of the flexibility that it has been requesting um, in terms of its rate filings, especially with forward. And if you listen to our podcast from last week, you can get a deep dive in what forward-looking risk modeling and reinsurance means. They will give some concessions in that area, allowing insurers to be able to... uh, include some of that into their rate filings and but in exchange for if the insurance company wishes to do that, they have to start writing in high risk areas um, as defined by the Department of Insurance. So a lot of those areas which right now have no policies being written by private market insurance will be able to do so. It will also allow HOAs in certain high risk areas who are relying on the fair plan to now be able to fully insure because it expands certain commercial coverages. So It's something we uh, are supportive of, a number of other groups, again, compromise. It's one of these things where basically all sort of moderate players in this area have uh, favored and are hoping that these regulations will actually move forward the market. We, again, will have to see the actual structure and how those uh, regulations come into play. But there is, uh, finally, again, consumers really, frankly, won't feel this until January, once those regulations get into place and things start to move. But there is a cautious optimism um, that we can move forward, and and just also a reminder, which came up in our last podcast, we are not the only state facing this. Uh, This is a nationwide problem. You know, every national (laughs) natural disaster you're hearing about in every possible part of this uh, um, country sort of impacts the overall insurance market and the ability of reinsurance costs. So it's it's a very messy time, Um, and some of the national. Political issues also creates a little havoc with our flood insurance problem, You know, yes. so we, we've we got insurance issues all around.
2: Well, what's interesting is uh, earlier this year, there was a bill that allowed HOAs to actually have admittance into the fair plan, which we mm-hmm. did not previously have. And so that was a concern that I had heard from our uh, CID community right. and our homeowners associations community, which is a part of our housing supply conversation on a regular basis. And so I know that with this new compromise that's been created and um, as you note, if everybody's a little bit unhappy, we made good policy. Um, or at least that's that's sort of the talisman that I run by. Um and so, uh, I know that that on behalf of the lobbying team, we were elated that that you and Anna were able to to help forge ahead and and continue to find a solution that will help our benefit our members, their clients, and the ability to facilitate transactions in California. Finally, I think it's
0: very important to share with our members how important the work they do for us. And Kareem, you talked about this earlier in your conversation about uh, their importance in helping us in the investment housing bills. Um, How important the work they do is for our work in Sacramento. So I want to talk a little about our legislative day. And um, Kareem, I'll have you, what is legislative day?
1: Sure. Well, legislative day is uh, a day in the spring, typically uh, late April or early May, where thousands of realtors throughout the state uh, come up to Sacramento, come up to the Capitol and mobilize on one day as part of our spring business meetings uh, to meet with their legislators, get briefed on uh, our legislative priorities. Um, and really push the ball forward in terms of not only advancing policies that would be beneficial to their clients and to their businesses, uh, but also uh, working to defeat proposals that would be adverse to their clients and their businesses. Uh, one of those uh, proposals that we saw this year that I'd be remiss if I didn't quickly mention was SB 466 by Senator Wahab. Uh, as uh, members listening and watching know, uh, we continually face threats to the Costa Hawkins Rental Housing Act, which is a piece of legislation that CER co sponsored back in 1995 to place restrictions on extreme forms of rent control that we see at the local level in cities like Los Angeles and San Francisco, et cetera. And it provides that you cannot impose extreme forms of rent control on new construction uh, or on single family homes or condos. Uh, And what SB 466 would have done is it would have moved that new construction date thereby putting a larger swath of rental properties (coughs) under these extreme forms of rent control. And eventually everything. Mm -hmm. Precisely. Yeah. And uh, that was a hot issue uh, this past year uh, on Legislative Day. Uh, Our members went across the street to the Capitol. They met with their legislators. They had their voices heard. And we were able to successfully defeat that bill on the Senate floor. Uh, And actually just a quick little anecdote. Uh, when uh, I was over there with the rest of the lobbying team, uh, and we were working hard uh, on behalf of our members uh, to defeat that bill as well as working other uh, legislative priorities that are critical to our organization, uh, that particular bill, there was a, uh advocate standing next to me from another organization, and that was one of the last bills of the night, and I saw them take a photograph of the screen using their phone and they said, they said to me, they didn't know who I was, they were from another industry. And they said, I don't know what bill this is, but I'm just taking a photo because this is one of the few bills that was actually killed today. Uh, And so (laughs) that really stuck with me. And that really is the power uh, and fortitude and strength of our members. And really encourage uh, our members, particularly new members, if you haven't participated in Legislative Day, uh, please come up to Sacramento. Again, it's every spring, usually late April or early May. And it really is an opportunity to not only connect with thousands of realtors uh, who all congregate in, in Sacramento, but also an opportunity to have your voice heard uh, across the street at the Capitol uh, about issues that are critical to you and your business. So really a powerful day.
0: And Jennifer, you can talk about the other hot issue that we have. We, had two, we typically have two hot issues um talk about the other hot issue and how that went
2: the other hot issue (laughs) was the california dream for all program uh one of our uh, guest speakers during legislative day was senator senate pro tem atkins um who was uh one of our lead advocates within the legislature for the program um as referenced earlier as to what the program does it's extraordinarily important to create new transactional opportunities for our membership as well as to create home ownership opportunities for our state's working families and um i think that by uh showing that we had you know near 5000 realtors in one room it demonstrated the sheer force and power of the organization as well as to its dedication of its members to travel from from every far reach of the state of California in order to come and advocate um on behalf of homeowners on behalf of um Good land uh, landlord tenant providers that are that are seeking to facilitate housing um, and a mutually beneficial opportunity. I think that the other thing that's really interesting to say is my favorite moments uh, during legislative day are watching legislative staff either make sure to bring their lunch because there's no place for anybody to go to lunch the day the realtors <laughs> are here, or they ensure that they don't go uh, anywhere near the elevators. Uh, given the change of space from the cap- capital to the swing space, there's a limited opportunity of elevators. We went from, I think eight or nine elevators that are available to the public to three. And so that creates another path for showing just how dedicated our members are to being there, that they will wait in lines that are 30, 40, 50 minutes, sometimes an hour and a half long, just to get upstairs to meet with our legislators. It shows their true dedication to their industry and to advocating um, for homeownership throughout the state of California. We we couldn't have been successful in the California Dream for All program without them. We will uh, continue to call on them. We will need them um, next year, the year after, the year after that, in order to advocate for themselves. Um, we can only do so much, but their face makes so much difference to the elected officials as we're working on red alerts for A variety of issues, some related to tax, some related to transactions, obviously, some related to um, private property rights and reducing those opportunities. Um, uh, Without the realtors, we wouldn't be as successful on the advocacy side as we are. And so I will tell you from a a personal standpoint, when I talk to uh, elected officials, be it in the Assembly or the Senate, um, some of them will ask, can you please get your members to stop calling? I can't change my vote. And my answer usually is, are you with us? And then Uh when their answer is no, I say I'm so sorry. And then <laughs> I shake their hand and walk away and we continue the phone calls. So um it's one of those issues that, you know, if they're with us, we'll we'll help them out and reduce the staff resources. If you're not with us, then we'll go ahead and turn up the phone some more.
0: And Kareem, you are actually your bills. Both of you have bills and, and the other advocates obviously have bills that often invoke red alerts. So Jennifer, you talked about the red alerts, but maybe Kareem, you could sort of uh, explain specifically what the red alert is sure. and also uh, your experience on some of the bills you worked on, on one of the big bills you worked on and and what happened with that.
1: Sure. Well, red alerts are a vital tool uh, of our advocacy. And in, typically a red alert is an email that a member will receive. Uh, sometimes we do statewide red alerts. Sometimes they're specifically targeted to certain districts. Uh, so if you hear that a colleague got a red alert and you did not, that's probably why, because we specifically target our red alerts for maximum effect And what a red alert usually is, is it's an email, you'll receive it in your inbox, and it'll contain two things. It'll contain one, instructions on how to contact your legislator regarding a particular bill, Um, either that we're in support of or that we're against. And you'll either call that legislator or you'll email them. The instructions will be included in the email. And then the email will also include talking points about the bill so that you're properly briefed on the issue and CER's position. And it takes usually about 60 seconds to respond, again, either by email or making a quick phone call. And I can't even begin to describe Uh, the effect that these red alerts have. Um, As I always say, uh, you know, definitely when you walk into a legislator's office, I'm not just walking in alone. You know, our team isn't just walking in alone. We're walking in with thousands of realtors behind us. And you can tell when you talk to the staff how many calls they've received or how many emails they've received, uh, by their disposition. You know, if you walk in and they have slumped shoulders, you know, they've received (laughs) thousands of calls. Um, and so our, our red alerts uh, really are a key tool. And so again, if you're a new member or perhaps a member that isn't yet familiar with our red alerts, if you get that email in your inbox, that 60 seconds is really, really important, not only to your clients, but to your business as well. So we'd really encourage you to respond when you receive those red alerts. And, um, I would also mention, as I mentioned earlier, SB 466 uh, by Senator Wahab. That was not only a hot issue on legislative day, but we also did a follow-up red alert, and that was also vital in ensuring its defeat on the Senate floor. And Jennifer, finally, in this topic,
0: would you say compared to, except for maybe labor, are we the strongest presence when we have our legislative day?
2: Oh, I I have to say, I think even... Um, Labor comes more regularly is the difference. I think that if we were able to show up like labor does on a dime uh, once a month uh, like labor (laughs) does, we would we would probably dwarf labor with the number of of. Members that we have in attendance. I think for a a one event showing, I I think that we are the largest showing in the state of California in in appearing before the individuals at the state capitol to show them that you are one unified voice um, about home ownership. And it's not about being a Republican or a Democrat, but it's about facilitating um, equity, inclusion, opportunity, and home ownership for all in the state of California. And I think that um, I would be remiss if I didn't thank each and every one of you, as well as our member mobilization team, um, who takes such effort to create an amazing event that creates both value for the legislators across the street, as well as for our members in, in having those um, real life in-person interactions where they can put a face to a name um, and remember that the decisions that they're making at the Capitol do affect real people.
0: Thank you both. We had a, it was great hearing for both of you, and I also do want to mention for the audience that uh, we, you know, uh, Kareem and Jennifer are leads on these many of these issues. However, Vanessa uh, Chavez handles our is the lead on our tax, primarily on our tax issues. Anna Buck on our transactions issues. Many of the bills that Jennifer talked about are were often lobbied by Anna. Um, this is the team that uh, works for you every day.
3: Thank you.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
3: Disclaimer. The purpose of this podcast, brought to you by the California Association of Realtors, CAR, is to provide general and educational information and opinions from a wide range of perspectives regarding politics, voting, elections, legislative issues, and more. The opinions, beliefs, and views expressed by guests or participants of this podcast are solely their own, and do not necessarily reflect the opinions, beliefs, or views of CAR, its affiliates, their respective directors, officers, or employees. Reference to any individual or entity does not constitute an endorsement, recommendation, or any other position or opinion regarding that entity or individual by CAR. This podcast does not constitute professional advice or services of any kind. This podcast is available for private, non-commercial use only. You may not edit, modify, or redistribute this podcast.